0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit TrinityChurchLondon.com. Who here knows the poem Invictus? Stick your hand up. Yes, Anna does, because you know the film, don't you, Anna? Good, a few people now. Let me read you a couple of lines. It's written by a guy called William Henley in 1875, when he'd been gone through various sickness. You'll probably recognise the lines out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul and it ends it matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll I am the master of my fate I am the captain of my soul it's a very famous poem particularly because Nelson Mandela in those 20 plus years in prison he used to say it to himself I think virtually every day it is a stirring poem it is a beautifully written poem, the only problem is it is fundamentally false it is a lie it is an arrogant God, God-rejecting life-destroying lie as James points out for us clearly today, we are not masters of our fate We are not captains of our souls. We are created beings. We are in fact, as the Bible says, either slaves and servants to sin or to righteousness. And yet our world is so full of this belief that we are in control. And it causes so much grief. Which is why James is so strong and so sharp in this passage. He starts off with, now listen. It's a very strong call it's it's wake up read this think about this and he says you don't even know what will happen tomorrow do you you don't even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life is it a great drama and adventure an achievement of something special no it's just a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Challenging stuff, eh? Cuts right into how we see ourselves and how our whole society works and he ends up by saying all boasting like this isn't just unhelpful, isn't just wrong, it's evil. Why is it evil? because it's about pride it's about arrogance. James through the whole of this book, is highlighting what, what does it mean to live for Jesus? What does it mean in practice? What does it mean about our decisions? About wisdom? What does it mean about our care for the poor? What does it mean about the words we choose to use? What does it mean about our purpose in life? And how we live our lives? He's very practical. And this again is a passage that goes to the root of issues it goes to the root of our pride and independence now of course that was what started this whole tragic story of how God's creation has turned into the world we currently live in with all its tragedy and sadness and confusion it all started with our as man and women humankind desire to know the difference between good and evil to make our own choices to decide what was right and when that first happened in the garden it opened up into our world a gap into which sin came and started to destroy so much, so this is why James recognises this is so important, that pride is probably the thing that God hates most you read it in chapter 4, God opposes the prou- proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud. Do you want to be opposed by God? I don't. Again, I recognise that self-reliance and pride is so built into me through education, through life, through the things around us. So we're just. So James starts by highlighting the presumption of life and he does it with this group of merchants that he imagines and he and he lists it he says you know first of all they say today or tomorrow well they couldn't predict that in those days if you went on a journey it depend on the weather and if any of you have ever uh, lived in parts of the world like that you know it, it, as someone said um there are words that are a bit like manana but without the same sense of urgency Things just don't always happen as you think they will. Things aren't ready today or tomorrow. Really? Then they say, we'll go to that city. Well, journeys in those days were dangerous. You might get waylaid on the road by, by bandits. You might have floods that went across bridges so you couldn't get there. You can't decide you're going to go to a particular city and be sure you get there. Then then they're going to spend a year there. A year's the years are old time it been a long time during a pandemic, hasn't it? <laughs> so much can happen in a year. There could be, there could be unrest in the city. There, there could be disease. There could be honestly So many things could change what could happen in a year. And then they end up saying, and we're going to carry on business and make money. Really? <laughs> it's not that easy. They don't even know who the other business people are, where they're going. It's presumption on presumption on presumption. And he highlights this. I suppose if we were to think about it for some of us, maybe it's a bit like, uh, well, I've got this internship I've been offered up in Glasgow for six months. And if I go on that, I'm going to learn these skills and uh, I'll make some contacts and it'll help my reputation. And when I come back, I'll get a promotion or I'll get a better job. It's the same process. I think we slip into it just as these merchants did. And James says there are two fundamental errors behind this way of thinking that he wants us to recognise. He says we don't understand what our life is and we don't understand truly who God is. These are the two things he highlights. We don't understand what our life is. We live in a humanist world. After what's called the enlightenment. Man is now the measure of all things. That is the way this world thinks. Man is the height of evolution and everything is measured by us. And what we've achieved and can achieve. And most important is that we have good self-esteem. That's the message, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Get good self-esteem. Fulfill your dreams. You can achieve anything. Man is the measure of everything. Of course in the bigger picture it's nonsense (laughs) it's nonsense in God's true perspective we aren't the measure of all things Mm. are we? our life here on earth is like a mist you know a cold morning you walk out of the house and you breathe and you get that little mist for a moment and then it goes our life is like a mist life here on earth it's it's short in the light of eternity, our life is pretty short, isn't it? When you recognise we're going to live forever, those of us that have met Jesus and had him change our life and give us a new life. This life is, sh- is short. It's fragile. Just one incident, one accident, one sudden illness, and tonight you or I could be standing before the throne. It can happen just like our life is fragile it's insubstantial I don't think many of us will be remembered if any of us a 100 years after we've died might be a reference in a book somewhere <laughs> but our life is insubstantial and most importantly it's not really in our control we, we, we knew this a year ago didn't we? in the pandemic when well, we had to cancel everything but we sort of forget a bit and we start to think well we can start controlling it all again now (laughs) we've forgotten the lesson of our life isn't in control this may not sound very encouraging (laughs) but actually it's liberating it is utterly liberating because the other side of the coin is God is in control God has plans and purposes for our lives which he promises to fulfill he looks after us every day. it takes all that responsibility away from us of having to achieve having to be something, having to be somebody because he's in control, because that's the other side of it understanding who God is that he is sovereign that he's in charge of the details of our lives totally, completely absolutely from the beginning to the end i i love the line in that song from life's first cry yes. Yes. to final, final breath, breath. Yes. jesus yes. commands yes. my destiny yes. Play it together from, from life's first, first cry to, to final, final breath, breath jesus commands yes. my destiny from that first little cry which we were obviously completely unaware of yes. to that last breath that we take in whatever situation hallelujah Jesus is not only there, he's not only in control, he commands your destiny and my destiny. He actively is working in it. He's actively providing, protecting, commanding our destiny. The psalmist understood this. Psalm 57 verse 2, when David is hiding in a cave because it all feels as though it's gone wrong, he says, I cry out to God Most High, to God Most High who fulfills his purpose for me he knew that standing on the sovereignty and plans of God not his own plans was going to be all he needed for God will fulfill his purpose for him you see we're all individually created for a purpose we're all individually created for a purpose by God which he promises to fulfill And we need a purpose, don't we? We're created as people who need purpose. And we're all created with a purpose that he will fulfill. So that brings us to the key question of this passage, which is, should we plan? Is that what this passage is saying? Should we plan the purposes of our life? Should we have a five-year plan? Who's got a five-year plan? Anybody still? Yeah, great. Ten-year plans. Ten-year plans are probably a bit too optimistic. I mean, one-year plans are quite difficult. But should we be planning for our careers, for our family, for where we're going to live? for our, Maybe our ministry? Should we be planning or not? Is that what this passage is saying? Or is that arrogant? Is that arrogant? I think we've got three options. We can decide not to plan. We can decide to be led by the Spirit daily and trust God which sounds great and obviously we do want to be led by the spirit David and trust God but I'm not sure that means everything this doesn't say here don't plan does he? he never says that what is challenging is the way they planned the arrogance behind it Proverbs 21 verse 5 the plans of the diligent lead to profit that sounds okay Paul talks about his travel plans in 2 Corinthians 17. This is the great Apostle Paul. He says, when I planned this, I didn't do it lightly. I didn't make plans in a worldly manner, saying no one minute and yes the next. And Jesus in Luke 14 says, talks about building a tower. First sit down and count the cost. So it sounds as though... It's not that planning is wrong, it's the way we plan that might be the issue. Secondly, we might do this, and I've done this and I suspect most of us do this. We might make our plans and ask God to bless them. You know, this is what I really want to do, and I'm praying really hard, God, that it will happen. It's, it's actually my plan, but I'm asking God to bless it. In fact, even this passage where it says we should say God willing, I, I don't know whether you've been in a church like this but there are churches that used to put DV which is the Latin for God willing after all their notices you know, we'll meet on Tuesday for the prayer meeting God willing but actually it just became an empty ritual I mean the plan had already been made so it's not about asking God to bless our plans because this may come as a shock but he's not there to fulfil our plans we're there to fulfil His. yeah okay He's not there to fulfill our plans we're there to fulfill His plans for us so that's just another form of arrogance but there's that third option which we want to look at today which is how do you make faithful God honouring fruitful plans how do you end up living that lovely phrase a life well lived you heard that I remember it was said about Prince Philip when he died a year ago. That was a life well lived. That's what I want to be said about my life. I want God to be saying well done a true faithful servant when I meet him but I want there to be a, a life well lived. Don't we all want that? So how do, we, how do we do that? Well I'm going to talk about three things that I think are keys to this. which come Partly from this passage and partly from my experience of life and I'll, and I'll go on in a minute and tell a little bit about our story to illustrate it so I think the three things that, that mean we do godly planning are first of all we recognize and acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives secondly their plans based on knowing what our purpose is what our life is for why were you and I uniquely created and thirdly, we plan guided by some core principles. So I'm going to go through those three. So firstly, recognizing God's sovereignty. Let's make Him the forefront of our planning. Let's plan with prayer and worship. Let's plan with open hands and heads bowed. It's an attitude. It's a way to plan, to do it, recognizing acknowledge him. Proverbs and and James is very much just a reflection of Proverbs he may have not got this yet but everything in James is in Proverbs everything in Proverbs is in James. Wisdom, tongues, the poor um, and planning. So very famous verse Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not all in your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight this is planning with open hands and head bowed acknowledging him in all your ways acknowledge him he will make our paths straight he will also lead us in the ways of faithfulness and love with those paths and I believe he will also guard us against the distractions that consume our energy and time it's probably our biggest challenge, isn't it? In this, this world. It's not necessarily knowing our purposes, but getting distracted from them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. We, um, we often quote, don't we, Romans 8:28. Can anyone tell me what Romans 8:28 says? we we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called to his purpose. But we need to know the truth underneath that. I don't know about you, but I've had that quoted to me when things have gone wrong. It didn't actually help very much. Because I wasn't grounded in the truth underneath it of God is sovereign. His plans and purposes will work out. When you're grounded in that, that verse is glorious. When you're not, it can feel just a little bit flat. So, his sovereignty is the key to knowing and living a life that will be full of purpose. Secondly, we know to know our purpose in life. What we're working for each day, what we're aiming for whether it's in our career, whether it's in family life whether it's in ministry, whether it's in friendships and there are many things we can be working for there are many things we can have purposes one could be security you could be working to earn enough to have a comfortable life and to retire well there are many people in this world and that's really what they're doing that is their purpose Secondly, our purpose could be achievement. We might be wanting to achieve something. Maybe in, in a career. Or maybe in, in family. Achieve having a certain sort of family. Or maybe in, in ministry, in church life. We might, we might be driving ourselves towards that as our purpose. We could, our purpose, and it's a very common one now, is what we call self-actualization. Our purpose may be, we want to find our true self and live our true self isn't that a phrase we hear all the time? that could be our purpose our purpose could be simply acceptance and reputation we want to finally feel we belong we want to finally feel we're worth something none of those purposes are necessarily wrong in themselves but they're all totally inadequate and pitifully small in the light of the purpose God has for you. They're all totally inadequate and pitifully small. Mm. They're very much like that picture C.S. Lewis used to talk about of a little child by the roadside, playing with some mud. And someone comes along in a car and says, I'm going to take you to the beach, where there are acres of beautiful sand, where there is this lovely, sea and the waves where there's this glorious blue sky and the child says oh no actually I rather like my mud pies mm-hmm. we can do that by setting those sort of things as our purpose in goal and in life and the other thing about them actually is at some point I pretty well guarantee they'll all fail at some point the relationship will go wrong at some point you'll be made redundant in your job at some point, the people who you want to accept you will not do so. They all fail. And if that happens, obviously we feel devastated. But also we, we doubt God. Because we say to God, well, how could this happen? Wasn't this your plan for my life? Well, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. But if we really have got hold of God's plan and purpose for life, if those things happen to us, they're tough, but we'll be okay because we're living for something bigger. You see, the point is we can't choose our purpose. We can't choose our purpose because God's already chosen it. What we have to do is discover it. We can't choose our purpose. God created us for a purpose. What we have to do is discover that purpose. I think it's a process, if I think about myself. I think you get a glimpse of it at an early age, in terms of the things we enjoy. I think there are prophetic words sometimes, aren't there, which come in part, they're not wholly accurate, but they again give you a glimpse of maybe what your purpose is. I think as we go on and we talk to people, they, they give us feedback what we should do for each other. We should be helping each other find the purpose God has created for us. Whenever you give encouragement or something, or say when someone's something, you're helping build that. You see, we all have a fundamental purpose, and that is to glorify God and enjoy him for us. That is underneath everything. That's got to be first, And that expresses itself in loving God and loving people but then we all have a unique flavour I think is the way to put it to that purpose our flavour may be we're an encourager we strengthen people particularly when they're going through challenge our flavour may be that we are a father or a mother who draws out from people their strength, their skills what they can be our flavour may be that we are passionate about justice and we stand up for people in difficult situations our flavour may be, we particularly love those who are disadvantaged or disabled and we befriend them and commit our lives to serving them. Our flavour may be, we're just really good servants and we make the world a kinder place. Our flavour may be, we are great at communicating the love of God and the truth of the gospel to people and see lives change. We each have a flavour, that flavours how we glorify God Mm. if we can find that or as we find it we find peace and strength in knowing God's purpose in our lives and then thirdly I think I find it helpful to have some principles to navigate by for the practical decisions and these are just mine they may or may not be yours but I'll give them to you as a starting point then I'll illustrate them a bit so I've written down five the first is just simply to remember what Jesus said about seeking to do what the Father's doing. Seek to do what the Father's doing. So look around in your life. Where is God moving? And line up with that. Just a simple principle. But if you see God moving somewhere, maybe in a situation, maybe in a conference, maybe maybe anywhere, just get, up, get alongside it. <laughs> Secondly, I have always sought to make the body, bride, army, temple of Christ the foundation stone of my life the place where I belong Mm. the place where all my decisions are made from and that has never let me or us down this is our home Mm. our spiritual home Mm. and if we put that first then good things follow. I was just reading Psalm 84 this morning, I think if I wanted a psalm for life, I'd be picking up bits for this. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even fates, for the courts of the Lord. And I and flesh, cry out for the living God. Blessed are those who strengthen in, in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. We'll come back to that in a minute. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The valley of Baca is those dry, challenging places. Till each appears. They go from strength to strength and each appears before God inside. It's a beautiful self. So that's what I've done. What we've done. Thirdly, be accountable to others. I wince. When I hear someone say, God's this to me and I'm going to go and do it and I've not told anybody else about it. I'm sorry, you may offend you, but I wits. Because I don't think God ever speaks to us on our own without it then being confirmed by others. So let's be accountable to others in making these decisions. Proverbs 20 verse 19, make plans by seeking advice. Fourth principle, base your life on Micah 6 verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? What does he require of us? To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly before your God. Pretty good principle for living life. And then lastly, I think we need to be steadfast. It's that they go from strength to strength. That pilgrimage. Set their hearts on pilgrimage. Set your heart on a pilgrimage. When life gets tough, it's tempting to sit back into comfort or into misery or whatever. But we need to keep moving. We need to be setting our hearts on. Because God speaks to us as we move. Isaiah 30, it's a very interesting chapter. Uh, It starts off by saying, you made a plan, but it wasn't mine. <laughs> um, and then it shows it goes into what happened to that plan. They, they trusted Egypt to save them. The whole thing went horribly wrong. But it ends up by saying, "Your teacher, God, will return. You will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or the left." I think God guides us more easily when we're moving. So when you're not sure what to do and you're stuck, push some doors. Push some doors in a God-honoring way so those are my five principles, seek to see what God is doing make the church, the community your reference point, be accountable to others live a life based on Micah 6 verse 8 and set your heart on pilgrimage, be steadfast I think they're like, the picture I use is you could be standing on a hill and ahead of you is this big valley, your life and you're wondering where it's going to end up and you don't really know fully, but you do know you want to be probably to the left hand side of that church spark you do know you want to end up somewhere by that hill over on the right hand side you do know you want to avoid that river over there and that's what these principles are they're things that, that they don't give you the answer but they guide you on the way so I'm just going to finish by briefly illustrating some of this from our story <laughs> It's not that we've got everything right, (laughs) or anything like that. But it might just give you some practical examples of what I've been talking about. So, at age 18, I knew very little about life in the working world. My parents were both lecturers and teachers. And I went and did a degree in physics because I enjoyed it, and I was reasonably good at it. Which I think is a pretty good basis on which to do a time at university. But of course I had no idea what to do afterwards, or very little idea. In the end, I ended up with two possibilities, which are quite quirky when you compare them. One was to be a a researcher in astrophysics. In fact, I always wanted to be an astronaut, but I realised early on that that was unlikely and that ship has definitely sailed. Um, So I was going to either go and do research into astrophysics, or I was going to join the army. Because I'd always been fascinated by what it was, what was courage, what was leadership. Um, and I remember vividly on the 51 bus on Fulham High Street one day, praying and thinking about this. And I think God just dropped a thought into my mind. It's not as though God was speaking, but he dropped a thought that helped me make a decision. It basically, basically was, if I went um, into research, I would lose any remaining ability I had to talk to normal people. Whereas, <laughs> going into the army, you had to be pretty normal. So I thought, OK, on the evidence. Um and so I, I, I joined the army and was in there for eight years. A mainly enjoyable, um, often challenging, but I learned an awful lot in that time. And it was going well. I'd qualified, i passed my exams, I was heading towards staff college. And then God stepped in again, this time a bit more dramatically. And um, I met Nikki sitting over there, in the, the large altar room. and our um, daughter and... It wasn't just meeting Nikki, but it was also meeting the church she was part of, which was one of, you heard us refer to New Frontiers, one of the early New Frontiers churches. Um, and this brought me up short, uh, because I realised uh, if I stayed in the army, I could not be involved in a church like this. And also it would have implications for marriage and everything else. And so I had to stop and re-evaluate. And, uh, after a year, we had a year in the army together married, it became clear I couldn't be part of two families. The army's like a family, the church is like a family. So I left. God made it clear that I should leave. But I had no idea what to go and do. But I did know that the church was what I was doing this around. So it had to be in London and it had to be something that gave me time to be fully involved in church life. So I ended up going to recruitment. Because it was one of the few things I came across. That was interesting, <laughs> as other people here will say. It's quite challenging, but I'd learnt a lot from it, about, about how to relate to people, how to be business-like. Um, it didn't feel it was going anywhere, but it did enable me to be involved in church life. And then, I think God opened a door uh, to move to a client, to move into becoming HR, being an HR manager and in an investment bank. So suddenly this felt like a career so I left the army career, put that behind me, and now I had another career, and, and it was going well until we got taken over uh, one dark night in, in a deal in Scandinavia, and we made, everyone else redundant, made ourselves redundant. That didn't feel too bad because I, I hadn't put all my hope in that career. It was challenging, but it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. And we went through a period of time where I did consultancy and and there were opportunities that worked well for getting involved in church life, I had more time, and there were financial challenges in terms that we didn't have very much to live on. But God always delivered. The most amazing story was we were moving to help a church farm and uh, we needed to sell our house and buy another one. And uh, we need to get a bigger mortgage as well. So I had to go to this building society and say, I've got no job. Um, I want to buy another house, and I want a bigger mortgage. I don't think you could do it now, but in those days, the branch manager said, well, come and have a conversation. So I went and had a conversation, and he said, yes. (laughs) So we moved, and we bought a bigger house without a job. And God continued to provide, sometimes through tough times and challenging times, But he continued to provide, and we continue to be putting that church first. Through utterly random conversations, I think God often does it this way, Mm. I ended up moving into the field of career coaching. They were just two people I hardly knew in a lunch, and slowly I started to build a career working with lawyers and career coaching, which is what I ended up doing for the next 30 years. And that blossomed into starting a business that was enjoyable, again most of the time, <laughs> fruitful, and which I learned a lot um, and, and, and grew and developed through. A couple of things happened during these times as well. We felt stirred to go and plant a church in a nearby town. We got as far as virtually selling our house. We were just waiting to exchange. We almost bought one, we were just waiting to exchange. And then there was a, a meeting with various other people and leaders at which the whole idea was suddenly said, no, you're not going to do that. Mm. That was tough. And was really helpful, because of course that's what happened. What was clear then, during the church part, a few days later, was not clear. So sometimes God steps in like that. And there was also a point in all of this story, without going into detail, where it felt as though it all fell apart where work felt as if it was going nowhere and failing and had no purpose, and where church, even though I was in a position of leadership, felt as if it was going nowhere and failing and I had no purpose. And I had to face this question of what is your life about? Um, I happened to be reading a book, What's Best Next, which I would recommend. And it, and it sowed into my heart that understanding that the thing we're here to do first is to love people. Love God and love others. Mm. Everything else is just an expression of that in a particular way. So instead of measuring my day by what had I achieved, I started measuring it by had I managed to love someone today. Mm. Which I don't think I always find easy, so that's a journey I'm still on. But I start to measure my life now as to whether it's been a good day, by did I have an opportunity to express love to people so those are the various things that I've had. so i had five different careers <laughs> in practice some of them didn't exist when I started I could not have planned this but they all combine into where I stand today in God's grace things I've learned in each of them have made each of them possible um, the work that I still do the involvements I have in other churches and in New Frontiers, is all a fruitfulness of those years if I had said to that 18 year old boy trying to work out what to do, this is where it would end up I would would have been mind blown and to have the most wonderful family, wife and family that I have I I, I would never have thought that was going to be possible and of course, I mean, this is our story without Nicky, none of this would have been possible The sadness is, a bit of it, that I get the comments of the profile. Whereas without her, I wouldn't have been able to achieve any of this. And I don't just mean the practicalities of running home and family life, which is huge. Um, And I even don't just mean the wonderful encouragement and love that she gives me. But also the challenge. And she's better at hearing God than I. Sometimes these things and these moves, these stories are because she prompted me and her gone before I did. So I just want to say, this is our story, and without her, it wouldn't have happened. Oh. So James is putting up a mirror. All through the book, James keeps putting up this wretched mirror as he says in chapter 1, it says, look in it, and don't go away and do nothing. Look in it, see yourself, what God is saying, and go away and do something about it. So today's challenge is, and he ends this in the last verse, is, anyone who knows the good, he ought to do, and does not do it, sins. We need to find our purpose in life. (laughs) We need to find what God has created and live it enthusiastically, peacefully, God empowered. What are you living your life for today? I just need to leave that with you. <laughs> Only you can answer that. But what I can tell you is God's created you uniquely to glorify Him, to enjoy Him forever, to love others, and to do it with your flavour. Mm. And the story may be as windy as ours, but he's in control. And it ends up with this verse. God always fulfills his promises for us. He always fulfills his purposes for us. My favorite story in this is Samson. Samson, when he was born, had a prophetic word over him that he would free his people of Israel from the Philistines. He started off well. He went and beat them up thoroughly a number of times, <laughs> but he went off track. Didn't he? he got distracted. His distraction was relationships and sex, and he ended up failing. Except, he didn't, because at the end, even in that point when his eyes had been put out and he was a prisoner, he ended up in in the in the uh, temple that was the centre of the Philistine world and all the Philistine leaders were there to make fun of him and he asked could he be put somewhere and hold on to two pillars to hold him up and God gave him his amazing strength back and he pushed the pillars apart and it collapsed and the Philistine leaders were all killed and the people were free. God fulfilled his purpose very much Samson didn't enjoy the fulfilment very much, did he? because he got distracted. He could have had a much more enjoyable life and fulfilled God's purposes, I'm sure. He could have ended up dealing with the Philistines, being a great judge over Israel having a wonderful life. He made choices that meant that didn't happen, but God still fulfilled his purposes. Let's choose to line up with God's purposes, because then we'll have a more enjoyable life. So.